Warning, today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Okay, Fright fans, we are joined once again with Spenty Piece. How you doing, Spence? I'm chilling. What's good? Well, lots of things, lots of things, like the 13 days of Hallotober here at Then Is Now. We're glad to have you on board again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I thought, sorry, I forgot you were talking to me. It's okay. <laughs> okay, folks, the film that we're discussing on this Then Is Now episode of 13 Days of Hallotober is The Color Out of Space from 2019, which I briefly recapped a few episodes ago, and I will urge you to see the film before listening to this, as there may be spoilers. It's on DVD, but we watched it on Amazon Prime's Shutter app. In this series of the 13 Days of Hallotober, we're discussing films that are widely regarded as being scary, and Spencey and I are going to break it down and discuss whether this picture is truly scary. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. Then everything just blew up. Big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. You mean it's radioactive? I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. It's talking to me. Who's talking to you? A man in the well. It's in the static. It's in the moisture. It's in here. It's out there. And what's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite. Changes everything around it. It's just a color. But it burns. Can you believe me now? I don't know what I believe anymore.
Based on an H.P. Lovecraft story of the same name, The Color Out of Space was directed by Richard Stanley and stars Nicolas Cage as Nathan Gardner and Jolie Richardson as Teresa Gardner. The Gardners, along with their kids, oldest boy Benny, who's a pothead and interested in all things to do with astronomy and outer space, middle daughter Lavinia, who's a self-proclaimed witch in the Wiccan sense, and youngest son Jack have inherited Nathan's dad's farm. Nathan has decided to raise alpacas on the presumption that alpaca milk and meat is good. On their property is squatter Ezra, played by Tommy Chong, who lives completely off the grid and self-sufficiently. Elliot Knight plays Ward Phillips, a hydrologist who's surveying the land for the mayor who wants to build a dam. One day, a meteor lands on the gardener's front lawn, releasing what can only be described as a strange color that starts to slowly have strange and bizarre effects on the family and land around the farmhouse. The flowers on the property start to turn to the strange color, as well as trees and other plants. When something horrific happens to Teresa, things start to get completely out of hand as the color's bizarre effects plunge the family into a nightmarish scenario as they battle against losing their sanity. Okay, so, Spency, first impressions. Well, I loved it, first of all. I thought it was a very, very excellent, scary movie, very tense, but very tense in the way that would actually make a good scary movie work. It very much echoed the themes of how Lovecraft's books go and very much worked in what it was trying to do, especially in the concept that if it's a color out of space, it's very hard to create a color that nobody's ever seen before. So their choice of the... I don't even know how to describe it, but this very, very pinkish purple, bright, bright pink color that you don't see happen naturally in nature, was it really worked. I thought that it really helped kind of seal that outer space feeling and outer space vibe going on and beyond sanity. Right, right. And it, it's a color that we really haven't seen before in movies. It's, it's very unique. Yeah, it's a great, great choice across the color palette because obviously you can't invent a new color since we've quantified it in science but you can use a color that nobody truly sees on a normal day-to-day basis for any real natural reason other than human creation right right and it was um i think there was a science fiction author quite a long time ago that had read something where uh, they said there were colors nobody had seen before, and he couldn't imagine colors we hadn't seen before. But they did it so perfectly in this film, and to have a color be basically the villain of the piece, I thought was was really interesting. Yeah, my one of my favorite parts of movies is when they establish lore rules and then stick to those. This this movie really did help establish those rules slowly and surely, like how the this color creature entity behaves and how it affects people and certain things you could see patterns but it never was uniform across the entire board right right and um like i said a few episodes ago we discussed or i at least went over this movie briefly and i also went over um a little bit of hp lovecraft's work he was a horror author in the 1920s and 30s and he created a series of stories that were all interconnected and came to be known as the cthulhu mythos Cthulhu being the most powerful of all the old gods that Lovecraft wrote about. And I also touched upon the Chaosium role-playing game called Call of Cthulhu, basically the same name as the story, which is basically your supernatural investigators in the 1920s battling creatures from the mythos. So in the game, your character, sometimes when they encounter a monster or something horrific, they have to make what's called a sanity check, and they roll the dice based on their sanity score. And if they fail, they lose sanity points. If they lose a certain amount of sanity points, you get um, 
different levels of insanity right which temporary how things go right you get temporary insanities indefinite insanities in this movie we as we were watching it we kept saying oh he didn't make a sanity check oh she made her sanity check you know and it was just kind of fun to watch it in that respect yeah and to quantify it with dice rolls is to essentially show it in a movie as a character either you know successfully handling what's going on or not handling what's going on at all and the within the movie uh ward phillips i think was his name yes and hydrologist yeah ward phillips he was i would call him the protagonist of the movie because he's you know here's a small spoiler alert he's the survivor at the end the family unfortunately does not make it meaning multiple gruesome endings and it's just very interesting because in most movies you know you can clearly see who the experience we're watching is you know even if we come onto a family we are maybe seeing it through the lens of one of the children or even one of the parents or maybe a you know an estranged family member with them who will eventually survive the ordeal there's no one character besides ward who gets special treatment from the movie and that's only because of his position as the hydrologist who is looking into the situation with the groundwater. So you're saying he's more the audience identifier character since we can't really relate to these characters in the family. Not to mention the fact we have to remember that there's a whole middle act of the movie where he isn't present. We watch all these crazy, crazy things happen, but he's not there through the entire film. He is a very, very important character as someone who is seeing this but also he's handling it he only gets a few sanity checks what i'll call them but he only gets a few experiences of hitting the supernatural but he handles it all to the point of self-preservation that's true that's true and it's interesting too there's a lot of there's a lot in this film there's a lot of little touches um um getting into like lovecraft's work one of the books that tend to appear in his stories is called the Necronomicon, and that shows up in this movie as Lavinia tries to cast a spell to save the family and uses spells out of the book. Um, There were a few other things. Ward is reading a book called The Willows, which is a novella by English author Algernon Blackwood, and it was originally published in 1907, and basically it's one of his best-known works and uh, influenced H.P. Lovecraft, who considered to who considered it to be the finest supernatural tale in English literature. And The Willows is considered an example of early modern horror, and it's connected with the literary tradition of weird fiction. I thought that was a nice little touch, as you see Ward, and he's got his tent, and he's you know just trying to basically survey the water in the area, and he, he comes to realize that the water may be contaminated somehow. But he's reading that book, and I just, you know, looking it up afterwards, I was kind of blown away by that. Yeah, there's a lot of small details, and especially in just how the film progresses, it doesn't really have any pacing issues that I can see. It puts sight on important details, but then those details basically lead to other things that you're supposed to look at as an audience member. Me coming into this being my second viewing of the film, I saw things in the background that the film didn't need to touch on for me to notice it and subsequently be wigged out by it for the duration of the film. Right, right. And it's it's definitely, uh, I don't know, would you say it's a slow burn, this film? No, no, no. I'd say that it it does what Lovecraft does best. It speeds up when things start going to shit, but then it takes its time when it's actually having human experiences. Right, right. Yeah, it, it does take its time to build the tension, 
which I think is key in a lot of good, scary movies, is you can't just hit the ground running with monsters or whatever. You've got to build up the story, introduce the characters, and kind of get to know them as they are, and then see how the madness unfolds and how they deal with it. Yeah, and we get enough details about the background and growing up of the parents and certain things to notice major behavioral changes and personality changes. And then, of course, when, you know, actual monsters start appearing because of this abstract entity that's attacking them, it's not one monster. We see different animals become different creatures, and not every creature they meet is per se a threat to them but it's not supposed to be in this world it's not part of the natural order it's being affected by this abstract entity and so that's the scary part is the fact that the world is changing it's not this one threat it's not it's not alien where there's one alien going around and at the end of the day you know it's one monster in one spot at any given time so if you see it running away you know where it is in this movie you see just personality changes and slowly infecting the body and the brain and different monsters come up and you know some of them get killed some of them get stopped and you know some of the greatest scary moments have nothing to do with any one creature threatening any one character it's the the environment becoming its own separate conscience right and it 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 slowly builds too as you see the plants and the flowers changing to this color and it's it's in the background there's a lot of stuff implied in this movie there are quite a few things implied they imply without coming out and saying it that um uh, teresa's character the character of teresa i should say had a mastectomy maybe even a double mastectomy a few months prior that's affected the family quite a bit they they kind of imply that the mayor wants to put a dam there because you've got a water surveyor and then she says to Nicolas Cage's character at one point, um, well, you should have bought the house when I first offered. And it really isn't until everything culminates that you realize that that was kind of what she wanted to do all along, was put a dam in that area and get rid of the farm. Yeah, there's a lot of just small details in the plot, small details in the set, and just things that the film doesn't need to batter us over the head with or even feel the need to actually spell it out for us because at the end, everything kind of comes full circle and there's no loose ends tied up. There's nothing that really happens that we're kind of confused about or felt out of place. Right, right. It does wrap itself up quite nicely in the end. All right, so let's talk about the, uh, the cast and crew here just a little bit. Director Richard Stanley made this film. In 1990, Stanley hit the ground running with a critically trashed but financially successful film called Hardware, which many people considered to be a Terminator ripoff. He followed it up in 1992 with a movie called Dust Devil, which is sort of a, a trippy film about a woman who encounters a mysterious hitchhiker. It turns out to be this supernatural creature with the ability to change its form. And Dust Devil is a largely forgettable film, but it wasn't until 1996's remake of The Island of Dr. Moreau that everything spiraled out of control for Stanley. He was fired as the director during the making of this film, but he was still given a writing credit. And that film is just notoriously awful with Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando in just awful, awful performances. Uh, it, it basically trashed Stanley's career and he didn't do a whole heck of a lot after that. Until now, and he delivered us the color out of space, which with vibrant zeal and a slow building of horror that I think it makes this one uh, potentially a future classic horror movie. 
yeah, I can see that totally. It's it's very hard because this is a very very interesting film due to the fact that the villain is so abstract. The monster is so abstract. It's not explainable in the sense of a paranormal creature or an alien. It transcends both of those titles. Maybe more alien than supernatural creature, but it still breaks reality in a way that we don't really get to see because I keep saying it's abstract, but it really is just a color that's changing things, which then threatens the safety of all the characters. Right. Right. And I think, I think it was wonderfully directed. The cinematography was just beautiful. Yeah. I really saw a lot of focusing on the right things. We got to see some of the creatures that were made and, you know, the ones that were supposed to give us a start got a couple of, shots and that was that a few frames even and that was that but then some of the less threatening but more confusing ones were kind of given some ample screen time and things like that and even lasting up until the end but then there's even more where they have this crazy effect on the family and then the family comes back to them and and deals with this different new creature that's going on and we get the sense that it's almost that this entity is confused by what it's seeing and trying to almost manipulate the environment to the way it wants and it doesn't know how to deal with that. And there are points where the creature is, um, it appears as this sort of alien insect that comes out of this weird cocoon in a well and you see you see through the creature's eyes and it's not like any, I don't know, it's not like the vision of any creature I've ever seen on any you know, National Geographic show or anything. Yeah, there's a, it's definitely more of a psychedelic moment than it is uh, any kind of vision. It's not, you know, it's like Predator's infrared vision. There's no really view of it seeing anything other than it's confused and almost like its vision is obscured by our reality. Right. And th- I think that brings up a good question in the movie. Did the creature come here? purposely with malicious intent or was it accidental and didn't know where it was and it's just just its very nature wreaked havoc on the surroundings yeah exactly there's a lot of argument for both sides yeah in my opinion i mean there's some moments where you can see it feels like it's coming after us but then sometimes it's really is it just kind of exploring the rules of our world compared to its own right all right, let's move on to Jolie Richardson, who plays Teresa in this. She is, she's got a pretty good um, Hollywood pedigree. She's the daughter of director Tony Richardson and actress Vanessa Redgrave, who's a huge star back in the day. She's also the granddaughter of Sir Michael Redgrave and Rachel Kempson. She's the niece of Lynn Redgrave and the sister of Natasha Richardson, who are all actors. Now, she's been in quite a few movies and TV shows. Uh, just most notably, I'll say she was in the 1996 live-action picture of The 101 Dalmatians. She was on the show Nip Tuck. And in the movie The Patriot, she played Mel Gibson's sister-in-law, um, who, Charlotte, who was helping, helping the children escape when Mel Gibson had to you know, kill all the bad guys in the movie. What did you think of her performance here? I found it in the very beginning a little lackluster but then the more they explain that she really was kind of a victim of things like cancer and stuff it kind of made more sense as to why she was so withdrawn from the rest of the family and then uh, as time went on and as we saw the the creature just change their personalities more and more 
I was very impressed with how she was visibly changing as a person and because you know she's very very calm and serene and very caring and not very interested in being mean or disciplinary at least excessively and then we see that almost change on a dime after things have really kind of gone out of control and I was really impressed with that and then when she meets her gruesome fate and even that that whole experience goes from one one thing to the next that has its own progression in and of itself Right, it which, was truly horrifying. Oh yeah, there's so many, so many decisions made in this movie that if you split them up, they could be their own movie. Right, and when we say gruesome fate in this movie, it's not like a Saw film or a Friday the Thirteenth film. It's, it's mind-blowingly gruesome in a completely different way that you probably can't imagine until you see the film. Yeah, there's no real easy way to say this character was killed horribly you know because sometimes what seals their fate doesn't kill them instantly per se it's not and it's not even as you know understandable as somebody bleeding out or something really bad happening and that's that and so be it it's this things change things that happen change in and of themselves which i really really enjoy and i'm trying to be vague because i don't necessarily right. <laughs> want to give away all the value that this film has as a scary film but there's just so many great great decisions that a lot of it i can totally see coming straight out of lovecraft's book i can totally see it there's right. so much dialogue that i can totally believe they ripped right from the text of the pages which is exactly what you want because lovecraft's stories aren't meant to be necessarily improved upon because most of them, especially the color out of space, which based on the movie feels like it's a rather dense story, a lot happens and there's a lot of creativity in it. It's not taking one concept and stretching it into an hour and a half to two hours. It's right. taking an overarching vague idea and turning that into a crazy amount of interesting experiences and it almost feels like a like a experimentation with filmmaking. Right. I, I think you're right. Yeah. And one thing I want to touch upon that you mentioned earlier was you talked about how Teresa had cancer and it affected her and caused her to withdraw from the family. And as I'm thinking about the film and you look at it, it's almost like the color is a cancer and it causes them to withdraw from society because it's basically affecting all the electromagnetic stuff in the area, stopping cars from going, stopping cell phone conversations you know there's no you can't connect with any kind of electronics at all and it's similar i think based on what you said about cancer is that it it's it in and of itself could be some alien cancer that infects a planet rather than you know just simply one being yeah definitely and it there's that old um twilight zone episode where Everyone in the block, their power goes out and then all of a sudden some people's power come on for a couple of seconds and they start infighting with each other. And at the end you find out, oh, there really was aliens there, but the aliens weren't actually causing any real harm they to anyone. They just wanted to see what the people would do. And exactly. The and it was kind of a, a situation like that because it was a little bit more malicious, I'll say, because when they have problems with the phones the there's not just blocked signal it's not just oh there's a call and all of a sudden there's nobody there it's that one of the characters feels that the other one is yelling at them right you hear it it sounds like nicholas cage on the other end yelling it sounds like he's yelling at his daughter and yet we know he's not we know right. that that's not the case and even when they come back together 
Nicolas Cage's character is very confused as to why she thought she was being yelled at. Right. Which I think is very, very much more apt to the argument of there was some sort of malicious intent and real confusion because their car was working. You know, they've solving emergency after emergency, hitting the family. And then it gets to a point where it doesn't want them to leave at all. Absolutely. And speaking of Nicolas Cage, we could do a whole show on Nicolas Cage. And maybe someday we'll do that. He's been in tons of movies from Raising Arizona to his Academy Award performance in Leaving Las Vegas, as well as fan favorites like Face Off and Ghost Rider. And he's made countless other films. What did you think of his performance here? I heard a great argument of usually he's in the protagonist action role. Usually he's the one right at the forefront of The Rock. You know, he's the everyman, but he also has his own in the words of Liam Neeson, particular set of skills (laughs) to really get himself where he needs to be. But in this, he's a family man. He's a father, you know, focusing on the alpacas, trying to make new kinds of food for his kids. We see the family going together and it's not really till, I don't know, I want to say a quarter into the film that he starts to a slowly become deranged as part of the, the problems that go on with the color But he also just starts to wake up for a couple of seconds and he starts to defend the family, you know, in his own way. It's not necessarily full blown action, but he does pull into that role. And I feel like that's totally possible, as we've seen Nicolas Cage and Mandy as well, which I don't have a positive opinion of that (laughs) film. But that's for stylistic reasons. I thought Nicolas Cage as the everyman experiencing intense amounts of tragedy and then reacting to it violently yeah a very very fair thing to have happen it's a very very normal reaction especially in a movie where you don't understand what's going on you can't understand what's going on and you're still trying to do something about it and they almost they don't realize something's going on until it's too late so it's not like he can turn into you know like you said action star nicholas cage get out the shotgun and chainsaw and chase down the monster because the monster first of all isn't kind of intangible and at that point, by the time he starts to realize, you know, the horrible things that are happening, it's too late. There's nothing he can really do. And he just continues to slip into insanity. Well, he's also slipping into insanity because he himself is changing both physically and mentally. We watch his personality change as in the beginning he imitates his father and we, you know, th- that's very funny. But then he slowly starts to talk like that, even if it's for minute things and he just gets frustrated with his kids. And then we witness him vocally snap back. The vocal variety skill right. is extremely well done. And there's a there's a great moment where when he's trying to get the car started, trying to get his family off the property, the car won't start, and he, he loses his absolute shit. He starts cussing and freaking out over and over and over again for, I'd call, 20 seconds. Yeah, and in the car, like punching the ceiling in the dashboard. It's just it's just a great moment of no craziness going on. The background is obviously at this point changed because it happened about, you know, three fourths into the movie, two thirds, I'd say. But nonetheless, it's a the focus of the, the shot is not him reacting to things. It's him reacting to everything all at once. And it's all spilling out. It's we can see that it's all the father being angry that he can't help his family which is one of the most valuable moments in the entire film that at the end of the day, plot armor 
it doesn't exist in this film. Right. And it's just nice to see a film allow a character to have an emotional reaction. I, you know what it made me think of, too, was in the movie Speed, when Keanu Reeves, I think there's a point where he realizes that um, they're, they're doomed. They're going to die. And he, he loses his shit and he smashes the phone and he's punching the thing and you could see his face turns red, but he has to hold it in because the other passengers are looking at him and he needs to, he realizes that he's the only thing that can probably save them. Yeah. It's and that was a moments great moment. Like I love, I really, really enjoyed that. And when it comes to creature features, I mean, I love it. I can't get enough of it. I buy games and I watch movies because they just show me a glimpse of a crazy cool creature. So things like that are really, really my forte. And the fact that this entity basically takes the environment and the family itself and turns that into monsters is a great, great concept. It's more than just turning the family on itself. It's turning the family you know, into it, its own special way of human suffering. Right. And just as in terms of performance alone, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, Nicolas Cage, he always delivers the same performance. He's the same character in every movie. Well, first of all, he's not. If you've ever seen the movie Face Off, he becomes John Travolta in that movie. And in this movie, he's not action man Nicolas Cage. Like we said, he's a schlub. He's kind of He's really going nowhere in life. He's decided to, to invest in alpacas, of all things. And he really has no idea what he's doing because he thinks they're good for their meat. And even the daughter, Lavinia, at one point corrects him and says, no, they're, they're used for their fur to make you know linens and stuff. So I think he does a great job here. And then when he's switching, like you said, from being Nathan to being like his dad he doesn't really turn into his dad but he's changing and whenever he starts to do something that's antagonistic or not brutal but when he just starts to turn his emotions turn he talks like his father and i thought it was a really good way of since he had done that they introduced us to the, his imitation of his father at the beginning it was easy to go oh shit he sounds just like his father <laughs> and even he even says it at one point i don't i don't want to be my father or i'm not my father or something like that I very much enjoyed this film because the horror aspects weren't just about the crazy creature and the horrible things that happen and ensue. It was very much about how a person reacts to something that is beyond comprehension. Right. Now, uh, most of the rest of the cast are more or less newcomers, and we're not going to go into them here. Um, but I do think they all are going to have promising careers after this movie. But I did want to mention or give honorable mention to Tommy Chong. I mean, who can forget the hilarious comedy duo of Cheech and Chong with their many comedy albums and hilarious films? Tommy Chong's been in numerous shows and TV movies. Most recently, you might remember him as Yaks in Zootopia and Leo in that 70s show. His performance was amazing here, was it not? I really enjoyed it as someone who really don't know anything about his career before this movie. I was going to ask you that. I know nothing about Cheech and Chong. I've heard the name a million times and people in my family have, you know, obviously said many good things about Cheech and Chong, but him in this movie, I liked it. He fit the, the bill for hippie squatter, you know, kind of out there, really not a part of the family but still a nice enough guy that we really don't have a problem with him as a as a character to an audience right my own mother your grandmother today twice quoted a Cheech and Chong movie and um, I think that that's something at some point we'll have to dive into and 
and discuss on a future episode are the Cheech and Chong films and their comedy stuff because they, they had some hilarious stuff back in the past. But yeah, he's this guy who lives off the grid and he's he's in tune. Like he knew that Ward Phillips was the hydrologist before they even met. He yeah, he was presented as this character who was well connected, really, really smart, but really, really easygoing. You know, he's smoking a doobie at the very beginning. Right. He he offers um Ward a, a hit at that and Ward's like, No, thank you. Yeah. And he offers him Java and stuff and is just really kinda in tune. And then as things progress, he is revisited and oh, he's talking to the voices, you know, under the ground and in the water. And then we see him for the third time after he's been unfortunately killed and uh, his recording is going off of him actually trying to get the voices. But then he's also talking and giving really, I think, exposition at the end of the movie of what we're dealing with. Right. Establishes the rules after the fact of us seeing already immensely crazy things. He talks about how it's from another world. It's a crazy color that is changing the environment, you know, it's important, it's new, it's powerful. And that's stuff that really, you know, any logical person would say belongs at the beginning of the film. But the fact that it's at the end, I think works for the the favor of the film is we don't know what we're dealing with. That's the big scare is that we don't understand. And that's true to a lot of Lovecraft stories is that when characters start to learn the true nature of the universe or the secrets of the universe, that's when they start to lose their mind. And he was already a little bit off to begin with. So he, you know, he talked about aliens and stuff. So he did have some knowledge. He had Cthulhu mythos points, if you will. And I think at some point off screen, he, he had a dream or a vision or, or somehow melded with the, with this color or whatever and gained insight into the true origin of whatever this malignant force was. Yeah, it definitely took its toll on him, but he he knew something that nobody else really would have been able to figure out. So that was just helpful for the audience and stuff. And I don't know, I really just enjoyed that, that the idea that most of the scares come from our lack of understanding. I mean, that's the big thing in any game, book, you know, movie that has to do with fear if you don't understand what you're facing, that makes it 10 times scarier. The moment you have at least a grasp of what you're dealing with, that instantly makes it somewhat bearable once it is applied to some sort of rule set. We don't have that until the end of the film. Right. So the value of it being a scary creature to deal with and inherently a scary film is established for most of the movie. It chooses to hold on to that you don't understand what's going on feeling for most of every single second we see really and that's how lovecraft's books are you don't know what's going on you're confused as to what's going on until the end it's the last two pages is when everything starts to go haywire in the books it's that's when all the crazy stuff happens that's when the characters start losing their minds and that's really what happens here is we get crazy thing after crazy thing after crazy thing finally a basic understanding that isn't even truly an understanding of what we're dealing with. And by that point, it's already taken over the minds of the locals and the environment itself. Right. 
Right. So Tommy Chong, albeit a small part, had an amazing role in this movie. A couple of last things I want to touch upon. Well, one of the um, pieces of symbolism, we talked about the book The Willows. Uh, Benny has on his wall letters that spell out a phrase, no flesh would be saved. And we looked it up and it's a um, biblical quote. And from the New King James Version, the full quote is, and unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. So there are a couple of interpretations to be had here. One is about the Lord shortening the days, which this color messes with the time for the characters. Sometimes it's day, sometimes it's night. They don't know what's going on with the time. And also, no flesh would be saved, but ultimately he chose someone and he shortened the days. And Ward was saved. Basically, he, he, managed his, he manages not to lose his mind throughout the film and is saved. So I wonder if... if if that's how that could be interpreted or what do you think of no flesh would be saved uh i think as a teenage boy it was just something he saw and would be interested in to put on his wall but then in the context of it the greater film it definitely would have something to do with the fact that the family i the main characters maybe not the protagonists but the main characters we are introduced to gave tons of background on you know we get to see their personality shine through in many situations they're all they don't live they have no plot armor they all by the end are taken by this crazy creature ward is only saved by the fact that he doesn't live there he actually isn't around for the horror to get to him he doesn't drink the water either yeah exactly he is aware enough that there's some kind of threat but not just that he's not around enough regardless whether he drank the water or not he would have been overtaken by this horror no matter what if he was there he was only saved by the fact that he wasn't there right which i think is adds to the value of a horror movie that there are no happy endings there is no final girl there's right there's the hope that the final hydrologist (laughs) yeah there's the hope that maybe some of them will escape but you know honestly none of them really did as part of the family even the dog unfortunately met a cruel end Right, And it's just things like that that I think adds to the value of it being a horror movie more than just horror movies scaring us and, you know, things like that. And not to mention that the very end when um, Ward finally gets back to the farm and he's trying to save the survivors of the brutal attacks. And then all of a sudden the reality starts to shift. There's a tint on the camera. We see everything starting to phase in and out of existence in a way that it's starting to get stretched and weird at the very end. I normally don't like stylistic choices like that. I don't care for it in Grindhouse films. I don't care for it in Rob Zombie films. I didn't care for it in Mandy. I don't like when people put tints on the film just because (laughs) it would look good. In this, it had a meaning and it meant something and it added to the tense situations that was going on. Right. Which I think is everything that this film encompasses. Nice. I think artistic, stylistic choices are a conversation for another day. But uh, a couple of quick last things here. One is speaking of things, there is a scene in this movie I believe is an homage to John Carpenter's The Thing. And that is when uh, Nicolas Cage encounters the alpacas and they are fused into one creature. And it looked just something like when the dog exploded in The Thing and absorbed the other dogs. Yeah, it's really, really a big, big thing to have creatures that change form homage that movie. Because that movie really established the infecting the brain, infecting the body idea. Except 
in that sense, it was still one corporeal being that you could quantify to an extent as alien as it was. And this, it's even far worse than that. Right. And the, the scene was brief, but I think it, it, to, I don't know anything about the making of this film, but it looked like a mix of practical and computer effects. And I think they did it very well. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of mixing of the two, but I saw more computer generated than practical effects, at least in the major, you know, big scene that we saw the the fused together alpacas and there's just a whole lot of good that came out of that as a horror film it added to the grossness of it and it really kind of leveled the playing field of what this creature is thinking about and trying to do you know it's getting your gears going of okay more than just one instance now there's two maybe three maybe four of it doing different things and you know, I really enjoyed it. I really thought that adding that level of gore really solidified it as we're still in a horror movie. We're not just in some sort of simulated exploration of human suffering. Right. It was right. bigger than that. And finally, the um, the music in this film was done by a guy named Colin Stetson, the soundtrack, I should say. And he's known for doing music for Redemption 2 or Red, I'm sorry, Red Dead Redemption 2. Really? Yep. He did music for the movie Hereditary. And um, I think this soundtrack really speaks for itself. You can actually listen to it on Spotify, and it's it's amazing. It, I think it's a synthesized kind of soundtrack, but there are a lot of there's a lot of thrumming, a lot of what sounds like maybe tubas and uh, heartbeats and just a, a nice, eerie mix that that just adds to the tension of the, of each scene in this film. I also heard you make a note that it sounds almost synthesized as well. So you could really say that the music is a representation of the rest of the film as it's natural things like instruments and music, but then artificially melded together. Oh, interesting. Kind of yeah, like how yeah, very it's, good. it's been playing together with the rest of the film. Right. So final thoughts on The Color Out of Space, Spence. Um, as a young person, being my son and a young person, what do you think about this film? Do you think it was scary? And would you recommend it to people of your age? My first impression when I watched it with my girlfriend, uh, we were holding each other left and right. Oh, yeah, I fell asleep. Through the, entire, <laughs> through the entire film, we were terrified. And I thought that it because of the various elements it put together, on top of the fact that even though I'm a fan of H.P. Lovecraft and I knew that things in his stories are crazy abstract, I was still very concerned because I couldn't fully wrap my head around the idea that just something happens and then all this other stuff in the you know physical world is going on. I thought it was very, very scary. And when they really added more of the, the gore and some of the crazier creatures that we saw and some of just the more interesting set pieces i thought that was very scary i think this movie is a very very quality scary flick but it's also you know very very intelligently made and well put together absolutely i, I agree with that 100 percent. now like i said i did fall asleep that time we were watching it but that was my second viewing and i have since seen it twice in fact you and i watched it just before doing this podcast i loved it i think it's it stands up it holds up I think it'll continue to hold up into the future. I think it's definitely, it's offbeat. It's not a slasher film. It's not a gore film. Even though there is gore in the movie, it's not, it's not like, you know, intestines falling out of the film. It's very cerebral too, like as you expounded upon in discussing the, the themes in, in, in this film. 
so yeah, I would recommend this. I say you should go out and see it, or rather <laughs> stream and see it on the Shutter app or get the DVD. I highly recommend it. Spence, thank you for joining us in this episode, and uh, we're going to continue our 13 days of Hallowtober. Thank you for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed this special edition episode of Then Is Now called 13 Weeks of Hallowtober. If you want to chime in on today's show, please send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website, havenpodcasts.com. And we have another show called The East Meets the West, where we discuss spaghetti westerns and Shaw Brothers movies. So we hope you check that show out as well. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can find us and spread the word about Then Is Now. Join us again next episode. Well, folks, this time uh, the film we're going to be discussing is the uh, then is now. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the film we're going to be dis discussing is then is now. My other podcast. <laughs>